Seasoned Crime. My name is Jasmine Nicole, and I'm your host. I come on and I give you a new episode every Tuesday telling you a story about a minority. This is your typical true crime podcast, but with a little bit of a twist. I try to keep the banter to a minimum and give you what you came for, and that's the crime. I want to share a crime that has happened to or by someone of a minority status. True crime doesn't discriminate, so neither do we. We look for all of it from different races, religions, genders, sexual orientations. This is the podcast for those of us that had to be added in as an amendment to the Constitution. Speaking of the Constitution, this... (laughs) This has been a week. So if you have been um, out of it a little bit or living under a rock, you may have missed it. But I think most of us are well aware that there was a leak that got out saying that the Supreme Court is expected to overturn the Roe versus Wade. I want to make sure that there is absolutely no confusion on where this podcast stands on that. I am disgusted that this is even something that continues to be a topic of discussion. The right for a woman to choose is something that should never be taken away. Being pro-choice doesn't necessarily have to mean pro-abortion, but it does mean that you stand for the right for a woman to be able to make decisions about herself and her body. It doesn't matter the reason. That's absolutely no one's business. There is not a single law that is put in place that allows the government to force a man into fatherhood. Sure, you can say child support, but let's get real. Not every father does that. As a man, you have the choice to leave and never be a part of your child's life if you please to. And right, it's frowned upon, but it's also 100% legal. This is a topic that I feel extremely strong about, and I could go on and on, but I'm just going to leave things where I've put them. Just know that on this podcast, I support women's rights for equality, and that includes being able to 1000% make any decision that she would like in regards to her own body. If you don't like or agree with abortions, then don't have one. But to say that because you don't agree with something that it should be taken away from everyone is disturbing. But anyways, I'm going to get off my soapbox on that because I told y'all I could go on about that one all day. So let's get into the real reason why you tuned in today. And that is our story. So last week I mentioned that I have, my life is extremely busy right now and it's a whole lot going on and it's just not enough hours in the day for everything. So anywhere that I can cut myself a break, I'm doing so. So today, I am going to give you a full episode, and I did all of the research on this, but I also picked an episode where I could get a little assistance just to make sure I didn't miss anything. Today's episode is one that can be heard on Dateline. If you are a true crime fan, I'm sure you've seen the show Dateline, but I'm just going to put it out there that if you like podcasts, which I'm assuming you do since you're listening to this one, the Dateline podcast is everything. I am pretty positive that by a landslide, the Dateline podcast has been listened to the most so far this year, if you look at my counts. So, today, I am going to tell you the story about a woman 
who seemingly just vanished into thin air. Today, we are going to highlight Leslie Herring. Actress Asha Davis has appeared in TV shows such as Friday Night Lights, Grey's Anatomy, House, and Gilmore Girls. Living the life of an actress in Hollywood is something that most people can only dream of. But in February of 2009, her life in the City of Lights turned to something that no one envied. Asha's sister, Leslie Herring, was one of her favorite people. She was her big sister, someone she could always count on. 45-year-old Leslie lived her life as a creature of habit. Every morning, she would call her mom and talk to her and pray with her. She would normally still be on the phone with her mom all through the morning, and by the time she got off of work, she was hanging up with her mom as she was walking in the door. Her home? Always spotless. And she rarely ever missed a day of work. Simplex Grinnell, a fire alarm and security company in L.A., is where she was employed, and everyone there loved her. She had a husband of 11 years, Lyle Herring, and he worked as a recruiter and an admissions counselor at California State University, Northridge. If you would have asked her friends, they would have told you that Leslie and Lyle, they seemed like the perfect couple, and they looked extremely happy together. But if you would ask Leslie's family, their story was a little bit different. Leslie's elderly mother said that she talked to Leslie daily, and from what she knew, Leslie was planning on leaving Lyle. So on February 8th, when both Leslie and Lyle go missing, the worry immediately sets in. After about two days of Leslie not showing up for work, her family filed a missing persons report. Remember, Leslie was a creature of habit who had daily conversations with her family. So it wasn't like her to just up and leave without saying anything. After the missing person case was open, police went to the Herring's home and searched to see if they could come across anything that gave them any idea as to where she may have been. The home was clean and put together, as usual, but there was some spilled candle wax on the counter. To most people, that probably wouldn't have stood out at all. Maybe it was spilled and just missed and not cleaned up, but for Leslie, that was pretty much impossible. Leslie was extremely clean, and there is no way at all that she would have spilled something and not cleaned it up. Something else was off about this whole thing. Where was Lyle? Not only was Leslie MIA, but Lyle was nowhere to be found. It wasn't until two weeks after the hearings went missing when Lyle popped back up said that he had just returned from Mexico. Those entire two weeks that she was gone, Leslie's family tried everything to get in touch with Lyle. And then once he came back, they were hoping to finally get some answers, but that didn't happen. Even with Lyle back in town, he was extremely hard to get in touch with. When he did respond back, he would pick and choose what he wanted to respond to. And Even then, it was normally a response about him and nothing about Leslie. What Leslie's family didn't know at the time is that police had already spoken with Lyle prior to him returning. 
See, the police had an alert out on Lyle's ID and his vehicle. So when the information was flagged, trying to cross the border, leaving Mexico coming back into the United States, the police immediately found out about it and they went to the border to interview him. The primary questions are, what exactly had Lyle been doing in Mexico? Especially when his wife was missing. Did he know where she was? Well, according to Lyle, Leslie being missing is exactly why he went to Mexico. He admitted that the two of them had been fighting over the past few days and he woke up one morning and Leslie was gone. Turns out that, according to Lyle, the two of them had plans to go on a vacation for Valentine's Day to Mexico. So a week after Leslie being missing, Lyle figured that maybe she just went off and started her vacation early, so he went to Mexico to see if she was there. Prior to him going to Mexico, Lyle was in San Francisco doing his job in recruiting interviews. After about 30 minutes of the police interview, Lyle cut it short, and since there was nearly nothing to hold him on, Lyle was free to go. Even though Lyle was free, they were able to seize his vehicle, and although there was no physical evidence that was found, cadaver dogs did pick up the scent of decomposition. This was an indicator that Leslie was dead. However, with no definite proof of anything, the cops kept this piece of information to themselves. Something that stood out to police when Lyle returned was his hair. Before Lyle left, he had dreadlocks. And from everyone who knew him, he loved his dreads. So I'm going to just put a side note in there and say, speaking from experience, if you know anybody with dreads, especially if they got a little bit of length on them, they take a whole lot of pride in them. So when Lyle came back with his dreads and his goatee both gone, completely shaved off, police questioned, what happened? You know, that was an interesting answer as well. Lyle said that while he was in Mexico, some criminals that he had owed money to had caught up to him. And they wanted to make a point, so they did so by shaving his hair. Lyle mentioned that these men may also be the reason that Leslie was missing. Nobody, including Leslie's family, was buying it. The family thought that as much as it sounded completely unlike her, maybe Leslie just went underground. It had gotten so bad with Lyle that Maybe she just needed to get away from everything and everyone to protect herself. I mean, that was the best that they could think of given their circumstance. Because they didn't want to lose hope and think that something was wrong. That is, until the circumstances started to change. As the police continued to look into everything, they started to recognize that Leslie just up and leaving on her own was extremely unlikely. She was a new aunt, and her mom was elderly. And her job. Leslie loved her job, and people depended on her to get their checks, and she took that very seriously. Of course, all of this spoke to her personality for those who knew her, but even for those who didn't know her, things started looking a little sketch vital things that someone who was going on the run would most likely take with them 
ended up being left behind. Things such as her savings account that had $26,000 in it, completely untouched. Her car was still in the driveway of their home. And when police searched the vehicle, they also found her purse, ID, her keys, her cell phone, and her bank card. Not only were these things found in her car, but they were found in the trunk of Leslie's 1998 Toyota Corolla. Another one of Leslie's purses was found in the bedroom closet of the home, and this purse wasn't empty. Inside of the purse, which was on the closet floor, might I add, were her Guyanese gold bracelets. These were very costly bracelets that Leslie loved, and she wore them just about every day. Leslie's mom insisted that not only would she not leave those bracelets, but she was extremely superstitious. And one thing Leslie fully believed in is that a purse on the floor means your money was out the door. This is something that I also grew up hearing all the time. If you put your purse on the floor, that either means you're broke or you're about to be broke. So not only would she not leave her purse on the floor, but she definitely wouldn't leave it on the floor with an expensive bracelet inside. A letter was also found in Leslie's bedside drawer. And that letter spoke to her not being happy about Lyle's money handling. Leslie's mother was able to provide a little bit more information on that. As someone who, again, regularly spoke with Leslie and she confided in, she said that Leslie had found out that Lyle committed ID theft against her. Lyle opened up credit cards in Leslie's name and he forged her signature on them. And this is part of what had caused their recent fights and caused Leslie to say that she was thinking about leaving him. The trip to Mexico was also not only strange, but it was a surprise. Once again, Leslie's family, the people who she spoke with daily, they had no idea about this Valentine's Day vacation in Mexico that supposedly had been planned. Not only were they positive that if this were such a thing, they would have known about it, but knowing Leslie, they would have had a whole itinerary of the trip. When looking into what Lyle was doing while in Mexico, they got information from a real estate agent by the name of Maria Minato. She had an interaction with Lyle while he was there in Mexico. They were in a Mexican resort town of Rosarito Beach, and Lyle was going around asking about buying a nightclub. He said that he was a millionaire, and he didn't have immediate access to the funds, but they would be available to him soon. And that's not all that happened while I was gone. Would you believe it if I said that four days after Leslie went missing, Lyle got a phone call from her? It sounds promising, except for when the GPS signal was run to get an idea of where Leslie's phone was. It was found that the two phones were right next to each other at the time of the call. The only way to make sense of that is that Lyle had both phones and he called himself from Leslie's phone to try to play things off. This same way that they found a Starbucks receipt in Leslie's purse that was dated two days after she disappeared. When police went to the Starbucks and looked at the security cameras, it turns out that Lyle 
was the one on camera purchasing Starbucks. Leslie was nowhere in sight. Lyle also called Leslie's mom during this time, and he left a voicemail on her phone. His voicemail was to see if she had by chance heard from Leslie. In March, a little over a month after Leslie went missing, a press conference was held about the case. Lyle didn't want to say anything, but police thought it was vital for him, so the sergeant unexpectedly called Lyle up to the podium to speak out. Lyle stood front and center, looking like a grieving husband. At first, it could have come off as worry from a concerned husband, but by this point, very few people believe the narrative anymore. And things still didn't stop there. You know, I've said it so many times on this show, anything you do on your phone or computer will always be there. If someone, especially the police or detectives, investigators, if they really want to find something, they're going to find it. Lyle's search history, just like anything else that has happened since Leslie left, was interesting. He searched things such as, do I need a passport? What is the weather like in Belize? And he even visited a website called, what country do I flee to? Things weren't looking too great for Lyle. And then, on top of all of that, the cops got detailed that confirmed their suspicions that Lyle knew more than he was saying. A few weeks after the press conference that was held with Lyle's face on camera, a neighbor came forward with information that they remembered. The neighbor said that it was around midnight on the night that Leslie went missing. He witnessed Lyle wheeling a dolly down the hallway to a back elevator. This stood out because not only was it midnight, but on the dolly was a large rolled up carpet and that carpet was wide enough to hide something such as a human body inside. Lyle had this crazed look in his eyes at the time and he was wearing a hoodie with the hood up and he was sweating. He was so in the moment that he didn't even acknowledge the neighbor when this happened. So by now there was a theory as to what had happened. LAPD detective Chris Gable told reporters, quote, Our theory was that after he murdered her, he took her down to his SUV. Then he transferred her body over to a vintage Cadillac that he owned. He put her body in there and drives back to his condominium. Once he figures out what he's going to do, he puts the body back into his Mitsubishi and he uses the Mitsubishi to discard her body. And that's why we got the decomposition hits in both vehicles. A tracker was placed on Lyle's vehicle soon after that initial hit of decomp that the dogs had found. And that tracker eventually led to Griffith Park. And so the cops went out there and they took the cadaver dogs once again. And the cadaver dogs did pick up on the scent of human remains. However, Leslie's body was not found. But even without a body... There was more than enough circumstantial evidence to arrest Lyle 14 months after Leslie disappeared. Lyle went on trial and pled not guilty, insisting he knew nothing about what happened to Leslie. The trial lasted a total of three weeks. The prosecution argued that he killed his wife and he tried to cover it up, while the defense said that there was no proof that anything other than a missing persons was going on here. They indicated that it was even possible that Leslie wasn't dead, 
because we couldn't prove that she was. There were nearly a dozen witnesses who testified in the trial, one of them being Lyle's cousin, Marvin Thomas. Marvin testified that Lyle admitted to him that he did hurt Leslie. He said things such as, quote, I'm tired of everything and I wanted to check out. What he did, he couldn't come back from. He would burn in hell for what he did. They were actually out eating at a Denny's when this conversation happened and Marvin noticed a gun holster around Lyle's ankle and so he was scared to respond and say the wrong thing. After about five hours of deliberation on June 7th, 2013, Lyle was found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to 15 years to life. Even though there was no body, the judge said that the circumstantial evidence against Lyle was overwhelming. Lyle attempted to appeal the ruling in 2015, but the conviction was upheld. To this day, Leslie's body has still never been found. It's crazy to think that even when you swear you know someone, you never 100% know people. No matter how long you've known that person or how much you think you know that person, the fact that we truly cannot get inside someone else's head will mean that there will always be a part of everyone that isn't public. People show you who and what they want you to see. Not only that, but you have no idea how much or how little it takes for someone to snap. Imagine how many people are in jail for life for one mistake. Yes, I'm sure the mistake was big, but nonetheless, it could be just one mistake. Not everyone who's locked up committed numerous crimes or has a full rap sheet. There are some people who literally just snapped. And it just so happened to cost them their life. It's unlikely that we'll never know the truth about what happened or where Leslie's body is. Because Lyle is so selfish to the point of not allowing Leslie's body nor her family to rest in peace. At least knowing that he is likely to be in jail for the rest of his life gives his family some kind of closure. As always, I hope that you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to follow the show page on Instagram at Seasoned Crime. And also make sure you leave ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate each and every one of you guys for spending some time with me today. And I will be back next week with another story about a minority. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Season Crime. Today's episode was researched, edited, and recorded by your host, Jasmine Nicole.